Good morning, Life Church Livonia. My name is Marcy Rahill, and I'm a volunteer here at Life Church. And I serve in the nominating committee and help lead a small group. But my favorite role at Life Church is being the mom to your pastor, Alex. And so it's fun for me to be able to share God's word with you on Mother's Day. So it sounds like there's some fun um, stories that you may have shared in our connecting question about what is something, a favorite piece of clothing that you don't have anymore that you love to wear. Well, you will see my favorite piece of clothing when I was a 15-year-old teenager. Um, this is a picture with my dad at Bear Lake Bible Camp in 1976. And I was born in the 60s, early 60s, so the 60s and 70s, hippie trends were like pretty influential for me. So everybody wore cut-off jeans. They had to be cut-off jeans. I had a million pairs of them, and they had to be rolled up just so, right? Do you remember that? Those of you who are old like me. And I loved this tank top that kind of tied in the shoulders. It was a little bit like, hmm, is that okay to wear at camp? Well, you know, it was okay to wear at camp for me because I was a director's kid, so I got away with some things. But the best part of the outfit that I love most, you can't even see in this picture, and that is I had this plastic silver, this plastic belt that was clear with a silver glitter stripe in it. And it just had a little bit of bling, right? Not too much, just a little bling. And they had these clogs. They had, you know, the big wooden platforms and they had this denim fabric over the top with an oncology symbol uh, applique on top of that. And then added to that little political activism was this button that I wore hooked to my belt loop. It said W-I-N for whip inflation now. And then my accessories included a silver POW bracelet for someone who was missing in action in the Vietnam War with his name on it. So, you know, I was clearly kind of going for this um, teenage activist look, you know, this kind of image thing. So I'm eager to hear more of what your answers are to that question. But today we're going to talk about identity, about finding our true self. And I chose this topic for Mother's Day because I think that the role of being a mom often gets confused with our identity and mixed up with that. Let me take a minute to back up and say that I realize today is a difficult day for probably many of us. Maybe today is a day that's difficult because you have a longing to be a mom and that's an unfulfilled desire in your life. Maybe today is difficult because your mom has passed or you're estranged from her and you're missing her. Maybe today is difficult because the role of being a mom for you is riddled with pain as you watch your kids struggle with things and you may feel overwhelmed or inadequate for the task of parenting or helpless to fix problems that they're struggling with. If being a mom or a desire to be a mom is a painful thing right now, I just want you to know that we see you. We know that that's a reality and we know that that's the truth. And Mother's Day here at Life Church Livonia is not meant to be a place to um, add to that pain, but to come alongside you and to hopefully the words that I'll be able to share with you today are going to minister to all of us and that this will be a time that God can meet you where you need him the most. And I pray that for all of us, that God will meet all of us, moms or not, today where we need him the most to speak to us about our identity. So pray with me if you would. Father God and creator in heaven, we thank you for the gift of our moms who gave us our lives. I pray, Lord, for those who are hurting today, no matter what the case may be, that they would find you close to them, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for the moms in this room who are working so hard to love their kids well. Encourage them, strengthen them, and bless them. 
May your spirit pour out today over each person here, speaking your truth to each heart and helping us all to be freely and joyfully experiencing the gift of your love in your life. May my words be your words and our hearts be attuned to your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our question earlier was about clothes that you loved. And sometimes our clothes might reflect our values or our interests or our personality, like my teenage activist look, right? Um, but if I asked the question, who are you, what would your answer be to that? What would you say? I'm going to put on some identities because, you know, we wear these identification badges often in different places in our life, don't we? So one of the roles you might say you have as your identity is that you're a student. Another role that you might say in regards to your identity is that you're a parent, a mom or a dad. Another role you might say in your identity is that you're a spouse, a husband or a wife. Another role you might use in your identity is about your profession or what your job is. I'm a teacher, I'm an electrician, I'm a line worker, I'm a medical professional. All of these things are parts of what we might say. Maybe as a mom, if we want to talk about moms today, you might say, I'm not just a parent, but I'm a parent of a child who's um, in sixth grade or who's graduating from high school or a child who's struggling with alcohol and drugs or a child who I'm estranged from. And you might have some descriptors about that role. You see, moms, we're always a mom relationally, but the other thing about being a mom is that the context is going to change. So there's the mom of the infant who's totally dependent on you for their life and their sustenance. And then there's the mom of the potty training kid who's starting to have a little bit of independence, and now they want to dress themselves and they need you a little bit less, or they want you a little bit less involved. And then there's the mom who's the chauffeur taking the kids everywhere because they can't get there themselves, and you have them signed up for 10 different activities. And then there's the mom of the student in driver's ed. She's a little nervous. And then there's the mom of the experienced driver who now no longer needs you to drive them around. And there's a whole nother level of independence. And then they graduate and you launch them out. And you, now your role is that you're a safe landing pad and a voice of advice only when asked for. That's hard to do sometimes. And then maybe you're a mother-in-law. That's a different role. And then you might become a grandma. That's yet a different kind of parenting role. So apart from moms, we have our professions. And our professions are often places that really get mixed up with our identity. People say, who are you? We can often launch into, oh, well, I am a, and you tell them what you do in your job. In fact, we wear these ID tags for work that clearly identify who we are. So do you see how all of these things can get mixed up with our identity? They can influence us and give us messages about who we are. But you see, these are not who you are, they're what you do. They are roles you perform. They are the context in which you live and many of them are gonna change often. For example, students graduate. They don't stay students forever. That's a hope, kids, those of you who are still in school. One day you're gonna graduate. And then jobs end or change. Maybe you get laid off, maybe you quit. Maybe you change professions. It's something totally different. Oh, guess what? Now, have you changed? No, what you do is changing. Um, or maybe every marriage is going to end, either through divorce or death. 
And that's the reality. Your spouse can't be your identity. And then there's parenting. Parenting will always be part of who you are. You will never stop to be a parent. But how you parent and your role as parenting and your context as a parent will always change. It's not going to be your identity. But then there's things that don't change. The things that make you uniquely you. Your passions, your desires, your abilities, your talents, your personality, your dreams, your culture, your racial ethnicity, your um, social context. Maybe you're a millennial, maybe you're a Gen X, maybe you're a baby boomer, maybe you're a religious group, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're a Muslim, maybe you're a Hindu, maybe you're an atheist. We identify ourselves, and then by sexual orientation, that's a big thing now in our culture, as identity. Again, I would say those things describe you, but they're not who you are at your core. They're just the wonderful, irreplaceable parts that make you unique. So when I ask, who are you? I'm not asking, what are you wearing today? Or what your context is? Or what your role is? Or what your uniqueness is? I'm asking about the person inside who is wearing the clothes. So when you look at that person inside who's wearing the clothes, who are you? Sometimes that's hard to put into words, isn't it? That's exactly what we want to talk about today. So here's the roadmap for where we're going to go today. First, we're going to talk about where we get lost. Where are things so lost in our identity? The second thing that we're going to talk about are the voices in our head. What are the voices that are speaking into our identity? And then next, who is on the boardroom of my brain? Who am I giving power to? And then how do we hear new voices? So let's start where all scripture begins, and that's at the very beginning in Genesis. Identity confusion, this confusion we have, it started in the garden. In the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of creation. After God created humanity, he says in Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I would venture to say that it seems to me that they were, there was no self-critic, there was no insecurities, there was no guilt and regrets, there was no shame. They were made naked and totally complete, fully formed. They didn't need clothes to give a message about who they were. They were complete. Their experience of life was experiencing life through the eyes of their creator, through God himself. They were in close relationship with him. They were in deep love with one another, loving each other and caring for this beautiful garden that God places them. So what happened? Why do we have so much confusion about identity if this is how God has intended it? Well, for Adam and Eve, what happened was their desire for more or their lack of full trusting and obedience to God that interfered with their love for their creator. And they opened up this whole new world of shame. And we see that in Genesis 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing evil and good. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, 
She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You see, the serpent, the evil one, he was in the garden with her. He was speaking to her a message that maybe, just maybe, Eve, you're not quite good enough. Maybe there's something more different. And he tempted her with lies to think that God didn't make her complete. There was more to be had, more knowledge and confusion and pride and power. Sorry, not confusion. The intent of God's grace and his protection to not eat from the tree, it got lost in this evil message that she wasn't enough that there was more than what God offered. How many of us still hear that message today? We hear these tempting lies as we consider who we are. You might be you desiring one thing that'll finally make you happy and be enough. What's the one thing that you might try to add to God to give you your identity? Maybe it's an education or a degree. Maybe it's a job that you feel like gives you some power or status or identification or value or prestige. Maybe it's money. A certain amount of money is going to be the thing. If you only had this, then you'd be better. Or a husband or a wife or becoming a mom or becoming a dad. The consequence is that in confusing these longings, the longings with our identity, is that We are no longer defined by God's love, by his purpose, and by his value. And we're no longer looking to him to fill those needs and those values and those purposes. We look for something other than God to define who we are. And so we continue in verse 7. It says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the cool of the day in the garden, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me. Now hear that. The woman you put here with me. He has a couple double blame there, right? She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. After that curse is followed, God tells them what's going to happen and the consequences of sin. And then it says, God provided a covering. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And they were sent out of the garden. So Adam and Eve, they made these fig trees, these fig leaves, clothes out of fig leaves, to cover their shame and their insecurities and their weaknesses. God provided the first shed blood in all of creation. God provided an animal skin to cover them. It's not the last time that blood would be shed to cover our sin. It was the first time. All of these roles and these contexts, they steal away our identity They can be the fig leaves that we use to cover our shame and our insecurities or our weakness. So after the fall, the journey is to get back to that place where we're naked before God and we need nothing to clothe us. That's the goal, isn't it? We want to be seen by him and to see ourselves. We want to be known by him 
and to know ourselves naked and unashamed. So how do we do that? I would suggest that one of the first things we can do is we can learn to discern the voices in our lives. Not unlike Adam and Eve, we all have voices and they influence our identity. Some of those voices are a gift from God and they affirm his truth of who we are. And some of those voices are from the evil one who wants to keep us from fully living into that life that God has created for us to experience in him. The voice of God can come from lots of different places. The voice of God can come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an important part of the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He indwells us as followers of Jesus. He's our advocate. He's our comforter. He's our guide. He can speak God's truth to us. We also have Scripture. Scripture is a huge source of wisdom. And the only way that we're going to know God's truth is to immerse ourselves in it. I know that that's a challenge sometimes in our very busy, striving culture. We're striving after all these things and not striving after God. What are some ways that we can do that? Maybe just even audibly finding some apps. The Lectio Divina app, Praise You Go app, Bible Project app, Bible in a Year app. Put them on, listen to them while you're out and about doing your things, but somehow get into scripture and let the truth of what God says about you be the thing that you believe and, and hold on to. You also see the voice of God in creation. I don't know how many of you have stood at a sunset or at a mountain range and seen this amazing power of God that takes your breath away. He's the one who created you with that same intensity and beauty and purpose. We see God through answered prayer over and over again. We see God through the community of faith, and that might even start in our own families. You may have had the opportunity and privilege to have parents who loved Jesus. They encouraged you, and they provided a secure and accurate image of God's love for you. Your own marriage and family, if you didn't have that growing up, you maybe started that later, or maybe you're the next generation of a marriage and family seeking God together. Often this community of faith happens in the church. People who've loved you, they've discipled you, they've taught you, they've encouraged you, they've cried with you, and they keep bringing you to Jesus and living out his kingdom on this earth together. It's a beautiful thing. Now let me give this disclaimer. I realize that there's unhealthy churches and unhealthy families. This is part of why discernment is really, really important in discerning the voices. In this case, Today, we're talking about healthy families and healthy churches and communities of faith. But then there's false voices. There's voices that are inconsistent with God's truth. And that would be the family. This would be the unhealthy family situation. And this can come up in any good family or any very dysfunctional family. But messages of not being good enough, messages where there's pressure to perform, messages of comparison with someone else in the family and not quite measuring up. Maybe in the family there's a lot of criticism or bullying or abandonment or unhealthy family systems that are so under the radar that they're not even super obvious, but they're hurtful. These ways of interacting with each other and they're present. So what are the family messages? And we all have them. And I really encourage you to think for a moment, what are the family messages that influence your perception of who you are, your value, your purpose, and your worth? And then there's friends. There's friends that 
a lot of times can be friends, but maybe can be hurtful friends, or maybe friends that are speaking things to us that aren't true of who we are. Like poor Job, he had the wrong friends. They thought they were doing good, but they were being, they were well-meaning, but they were wrong. Then there's society. In society, there's all kinds of messages about our identity, aren't there? Society would be where there's ethnic prejudice, where there's patriarchy, where there's racism that tries to dictate people's value and doesn't reflect the heart of God. There's horrible messages in society about our identity. Then there's this drive for political powers to mix patriotism with Christianity, and that often brings confusion about where does our loyalty really belong and where does my identity come from foundationally and primarily. There can be the workplace, or for those in school still, it would be the same kind of thing where there's this pressure for performance and your value is defined by your productivity or your grades. And then a very powerful voice is our own voice, our self voice about our past failures and about our pains. We, we feel unredeemable. We have a lot of guilt and regret and grief. God could never love me after all the things that I've done. Moms, I want to ask you, are we letting our failures define who we are? I can remember countless moments of trying to corral my four kids to get into the car to go somewhere. And um, this is when I was, my kids were young during two significant periods of my life when we were in full-time ministry at a Bible camp. And the other was when we were my husband was pastoring at Life Church, and I was co-planting that with him. And we had all these neighbors now in a new neighborhood. So here I am, corralling my kids into the car. Come on, get in the car, get in the car. And I'm raising my voice. I'm getting impatient. Quit poking your brother and quit bothering your sister. Buckle your seatbelts. Get out. I told you now. I'm telling you ten times. And then I look around and think, what are people thinking about me? Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be this like great Christian person and I'm sitting here yelling at my kids and then my identity is like, oh, I'm such a bad mom. Oh, I'm such a bad Christian. Oh, I'm doing everything wrong, right? We give ourselves these crazy messages. Maybe we're letting our kids' failures or disappointments, their own choices that are not ours, define who we are. We can't let our past failures define us. They're not our identity. There are growth, there are struggles. In all of these messages, there's this nagging voice that's trying to steal our healing, to try to steal forgiveness and are taking away our strength for change. And that is the voice of the enemy, Satan himself. First Peter 5, seven through nine says this, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is, doing, is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Just like in the Garden of Eden, Satan is tempting. He is doubting. He is that manipulative voice. He's not seeking our best but seeking to devour us. I know that if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you've recognized that voice time and time again. In verse 9, there's an important comfort, and it says this, Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. You are not alone. So important. God never, ever intended 
for us to suffer alone with all these things that get mixed up with who we are, all these false messages. We can't find him when we can't find him. We need to lean into one another to help us find him, to help us remember his truth, to help us hear his truth. There's comfort and there's wisdom in community. We want to help each other hear the voice of God, hear the voice of truth over the voice of the enemy. So how do I find my true identity? It's easy to figure out the false pieces, right? So how do I find my true identity? And I would say we need to listen to our creator's voice. That's the voice to listen to. There's only one voice that can truly speak into our identity, and that's our creator. Are we making room in our lives to hear his voice? It's challenging. When I think about dismantling voices, I get this image in my mind of this like boardroom going on in my brain, right? And there's these people that I have allowed to, and I've invited them in actually, and allowed them to sit in the boardroom table of my brain that are speaking these things to me. We all have those messages we heard, that critical voice, that failure, they're speaking to us in our heads, right? And so I would, um, I would want to ask myself these questions. Who have I invited to sit at that boardroom, at that table? And how much power and truth do I attribute to those voices? Because that, that comes from me, not from them. How much power and truth am I attributing to their voices? And which voices are not from God? There's two things to do about that boardroom. The first is to name those voices. And I would really encourage you, if you have to later just spend some time doing this, think about this. Write down your journal. What are those voices? Who are those voices that I listen to to determine my identity? And the second step is hire a new board of directors, right? Get them out of there, right? The president of the boardroom should be God, God himself, our creator who made us in all of his triune fullness that's exhibited in the Trinity and the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, all of them speaking truth into us. The voice of God, the Father, he's our creator. He is the giver of our life. He is the only one which, whom our being makes sense because we're made in his image. As we know him and become more like him, we begin to experience his fullness of identity in him. And then we have Jesus, our savior. He gave his life to free us from this sin, to free us from these false messages, to free us from these lies that we hear from Satan over and over again. And his blood, we just celebrated Easter, you guys, that is not a story, it's a real thing. His blood on the cross, that defeated the serpent's lies when Jesus rose from the dead. The message of false identity has no more power under the blood of Jesus shed for us and the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb. We are forgiven, we are free, we are redeemed, and we are not condemned anymore. Let those false messages go and receive this gift of deliverance from God. All of those condemning voices in your brain, he closed their mouths when he resurrected from the dead. He shut them up. The Holy Spirit is our advocate, our teacher, our giver of peace, our counselor. He's the presence of God with us. Let him speak to you in recognizing who those voices are. And let him speak to you the truth of the power of Jesus in changing those things. 
This triune God was present and forming you from the very beginning. He is the best voice ever. We had an identity, you know, before we even had consciousness. Psalm 139 says, For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We say that, but do we really know that full well? My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all those days ordained to me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Did you hear that? From the moment of your inception, God was present and rejoicing over you. Before we had an opinion, before we made a decision, before we exhibited good or bad behavior, before we had an identity, before we had an identity that we messed up with false messages, we had an identity that was made by God. Culture tells us that identity is self-revealed. It's who I tell you that I am. Scripture tells us that we had an identity before we had consciousness. So who does God say that you are? Who is that identity? Well, we could do a whole sermon series just on this one question, but let me give you a short list. God says that you are beloved. He says you're chosen. He says you're beautiful. He says you're spotless. He says you're his daughter or his son. He says you are his friend. He says he delights in you, in me. God wants us to hear his voice above every other voice. He wants to see ourselves through his lens, through his perspective, and not our broken, distorted view. So how do we see and hear God's voice? Let me share with you a story of healing that I recently experienced with my own identity just a couple years ago. I had the privilege to grow up in a Christian home where my parents both really modeled and offered the love of Jesus as a cornerstone for our faith. And I had four older siblings. Yes, I'm the baby. And we all love one another a lot. But I went through a really dark experience of depression around my identity that developed from interactions with two of my siblings who love me but felt the need to constantly correct my theology, and they were outwardly and intensively critical. There was years of correction from one more than the other, but still both, and criticism and comments that ate away and ate away and ate away at me. The truth is that they have their own church wounding. They have their own hurt, and they're displacing that onto me. Their accusations and pains were not true of me or my life or my ministry, But since I'm evangelical, which is where their wounding came from, I became a target of their anger and their pain toward the evangelical church. It was clear to me that their voices and opinions held far too much weight in my own value, in my own sense of worth, and in my own, as I tried to navigate wrestling through these painful, painful interactions. The power that I gave their voices, not that they asked for, but the power that I gave to their voices was crushing me. And I knew that I had to get on a journey of self-awareness and healing and changing my response to the messages that I was experiencing. I know God's truth about who I am, and yet I was so crushed by these voices. To hear God's voice, I needed many things. I needed spiritual direction, which I had already been receiving once a month while I upped it to twice a month, sometimes more. 
I needed counseling and therapy. I needed self-reflection. I needed education. I did a deep dive into the Enneagram and I'm Enneagram 2 and I needed to really understand what is it that's that's true about how I, my personality functions that's allowing me to live so dysfunctionally. I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot of listening and prayer. I did silent retreats. I did daily practices of silence. And I had to remove my own siblings' critical voices and just sit in the presence of God. I asked them to cooperate with me for five months of not having any interaction with each other, even to the point of them not watching anything on social media that might concern me. I needed time and space to be free from my fears of what are they going to think when they hear these things or see these things and are they going to misinterpret and misunderstand and what is this going to do? You see, my work wasn't to fix them or to change them. They never intended for their words to be hurtful. They just felt like they were being honest. The problem was that I gave their voices too much power and authority. I was the baby of the family and their approval was far too important to me. My work was to understand myself and what led to the destruction that I felt from their comments. And I will tell you that after five long, intensive months, I met with each of my sibs separately and we had really great, honest conversation. It was filled with love and compassion for one another. We set up new healthy boundaries and I can say that they have been fired from the boardroom of my brain. And they have been welcomed as friends and siblings in a much healthier way. Our relationship is now changed. It's healthy, it's filled with love and support. They haven't changed, but the dynamics of our relationship and my heart and my identity have become more deeply rooted in Jesus and in his truth toward me. When we have identified these voices in our lives that are keeping us from living into Jesus' truth about who we are, we need to ask these questions. What am I hoping to get from this voice? What messages am I hoping to hear? What need am I trying to fill? What would it look like to let Jesus change that? We want to ask him to speak to us in a way that we're going to understand. How do I need to create space from these people? Maybe that would be something we would need to ask if they're still living. God wants healing. He wants freedom. And he wants restoration for us even more than we do. So in closing, I just want to just review that we're not going to find our true selves by seeking it, seeking who we are, but by seeking God. As we recognize the places where we've been falsely clinging to our identity, as we silence the voices that aren't of God so we can hear His voice, and then as we walk intimately with God and receive His transforming power to live more fully into our true self that He created us to be. A few things you can do. You might say, well, where do I start? How do I do those? Let me just throw out a couple ideas. The first thing is to slow down your life to hear God. And maybe part of that slowing down might be some journaling. You might journal, what are the idols? Because really they become these idols, these things that we put our identity into that aren't God. What are we adding to God to get our value and our worth and our identity? And that might lead to some confession or some repentance. Maybe silence. Maybe see a spiritual director. I can help you with that if you're interested. I have a long list of good people I know. 
Maybe you need to get counseling. There's so much value in that, having someone walk alongside and guide you in that process. You know, whether you're young or you're well into your life or you don't know Jesus or you followed him for a long time, God wants to speak something to you about how he sees you. Because when we encounter God, everything changes. Even if we followed him for years, he will continue to reveal himself to you as you continue to seek him, to know him, and to know yourself. His calling in our life never stops. And he's always drawing us in closer. Moms, let me just end by saying that being a mom, it's really hard work. It's the hardest, most wonderful thing you'll ever do in your life. But I also want you to hear that being a mom is not all of who you are. It's a role you have. It's important. It's beautiful. It's honored. It's special. But I want you to know that the greatest gift that you can bring to motherhood is who you are in Christ. Loved by him, seen by him, forgiven by him, redeemed by him, intimately companioning with him as he walks with you through this task of parenting. That is the greatest gift that you're going to give to your children. It's going to teach them this beautiful love of God that they will attach to him in such a healthy way. And for all of us, that's the greatest gift that we're going to bring to our jobs, to our communities, to our groups of friends that we're going to bring to this world is who we are in Christ. It's a lifelong journey of stripping things away. And God in his grace gives it to us a layer at a time, right? Stripping away our false self and putting on Christ. So may you invite him into that constant transforming work each and every day. Maybe today you're here and you're thinking, I never realized there was another way to look at me than all these messages I've been given all my life. I haven't heard this God who loves me so much. And can I say that God's inviting you into this relationship of freedom and transformation with him? Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and you're just in the tumult. You're just struggling like I was struggling. And I have actually many times. That was just one story, right? We get struggling and caught up in all these things. God wants to invite you into letting him help clear out that vision of who he sees you as. And maybe you did follow Jesus at one time, but you've just lost your way. And your life and your value and your identity have been co-opted by other things. If you're in any of these categories, I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. Can we pray together? Lord, we're so grateful for your deep, redeeming, powerful, transforming love. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us, for shedding blood once again. And finally, Lord, to take away all of this sin that's consumed us, Lord. All these lies that we've believed, God, strip them away from us and help us to see clearly who you are. And for those who've never accepted this invitation from Christ, we just pray with me and say, Lord, I, I want to receive this. I want this new life. I want to feel loved and forgiven. I want to be free. I want to give that to the world, Lord, around me because it's so longing for it. Please, Lord, continue. Come into my life. I'm going to start that with you. And Lord, for those who've been struggling along the way, who know you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a fresh and a new way. They'd find freedom. They'd find hope. They wouldn't let the lies, God, that speak to us take away what's best, what's your best, Lord. How often these lies block us from your best for our lives. So help us, Lord, to believe your truth, to engage with you, to love you, to receive your love, and to find ourselves rooted deeply and founded in you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me to receive Christ or recommitted your life to following Christ and getting back on track with him and his identity with you, please reach out to us. You can contact any of our pastors online. You can also fill out the online connection card, and we're eager to have those conversations with you. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day.